are super excited about today's guest. You know, we've we've uh, been communicating with him for a long time, but we just weren't sure he was a great fit for this podcast. We definitely admire his political career, the work he's been doing there, but we just didn't know if he'd cut it. Um, finally, we were like, well, can you go audition with Queer Eye? <laughs> Do an episode of that, then come back and we'll talk to you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're really honored to have our guest, uh, Ted Terry, here today. Yeah, thank you so much, Ted, for being a part of this. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, happy to be here. And that was a really tough audition. <laughs> um, but I was happy to put myself through five days of nonstop reality television uh, screening yeah. uh, to come here today. <laughs> Uh, to at the Vintage Bookstore. Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope it was all worth it. <laughs> yeah. And I do I do maybe want to bring that up at some point and just see how all that went. But I do want to show that one moment where we knew we had to have you on the podcast. Well, I mean, we always wanted you. When we first started, we had kind of a list of people in Atlanta that really stood out. Inspired really inspired us, yeah. yeah. So, but there was that one hinge of like, well, do they read? Like, we didn't know how to invite <laughs> yeah. them without asking. You know, we didn't, where, where, how do you? We asked them if they re- like. How, how does that happen? And then I remember about a year ago, right leading up to the um, AJC, the Decatur Book Festival, my wife just heard you. Uh, I guess it was on you know WABE talking about books, and I was like, she was like, I think that was Ted on there. And I'm like, no, no, he he probably would have been talking about something political. You know, yeah, political. <laughs> what's going on with Clarkson? I mean, they wouldn't have him on for a, you know. And then I listened. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's Ted Terry. And so I like immediately texted him like, we got to ask him. He, you yeah. know, he reads. So it was that one like moment where we knew, okay, he, we, we can have him on. That's great. So we were really excited from then to, to reach out and. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do read all politicians <laughs> should read. And yeah. I communicate that to just, communicate that to Donald Trump on a regular basis. <laughs> he never responds to my tweets. So <laughs> You haven't been blocked That's yet? That's great, Ted. I love it. It's I've terrific. not been blocked. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I feel like, and not to go, not to go up to, but I feel like in the, especially in the world you're in, dealing with what you deal with and the the compassion that you have. I feel like most people that we talk to that are in that and kind of have that sort of bent towards openness. I feel like most people I've met read and there's a part of reading that has to do with that openness maybe. I yeah, know, where do connection. those meet for you? Your reading and your political activity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I can start by saying that when I was in high school, I was not political at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I did read in high school, but maybe it was more because of it was the assignment in class. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an athlete. I ran cross country and I was like, I'm uh-huh. going to be a runner one day. I'm going to you know, go to the Olympics. <laughs> I was like committed to being an athlete. But I met a girl um, in high school, um, got really, you know, sort of, you know, we had a very good, long relationship. Um, but we, she would invite me over to her grandparents' house on Sunday for like Sunday dinner and be her family, her uncles, her mom, dad, and they were really smart people. They read a lot Mm -hmm. and read a lot of current events and things like that and New York times and book reviews. And so I was like, like, I have no idea what anyone's talking about. (laughs) Um, and so in order to impress the girl, um, I decided, all right, I'm going to start reading all the, all the things that they're talking about. So whether it was, you know, the nation magazine or Harper's magazine or the New York times or actual sort of books on political, you know, philosophy, I just start reading it so I could actually have a conversation. Yeah. Um, at the dinner table, um, which turned out great. Um, uh, she really liked that. And, and it turned out, wow, the world is very interesting. You actually mm. learn things you yeah. didn't know about that TV didn't really cover or yeah. movies didn't really cover. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think kind of sparked a curiosity there. Um, and, you know, once you get that curiosity, you kind of are like, well, I want to find out more yeah. about this or that. 
So early on, while you're in this process of like just starting to get to know the world through through uh, literature, were there any books that kind of captured you or kind of steered your thinking in a way that would develop as an adult? Yeah. Um, well, I will start by saying that uh, that the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. was probably the first book where I sort of connected a. Right you know sort of the fantasy world with um a a principle in the book related to like environmentalism and Mm -hmm. conservation with you know work that i actually was doing when i first got to college and i was supporting environmental you know advocacy yeah uh and uh there was this great line that tree beard says when um Pippin, the Hobbit, asks, you know, what side are you on? Are you on the side of the elves and the men, or are you on the side of the orcs? And Treebird basically says, he will, you know, I'm on no one's side mm-hmm. because no one is altogether on my side. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, I, I, I ended up reading more books about Lord of the Rings where they kind of delve into the sort of the, the defending Middle-earth sort of uh, paradigm and environment. Mm-hmm. He talks about how Tolkien grew up um, sort of in industrialized England oh, yeah. and saw sort of of deforestation at a massive industrial scale Um, and then also was you know uh, was around during World War One which is incredibly destructive war and so Mm -hmm. just this very interesting sort of channeling of Tolkien's experience during the Industrial Revolution and how damaging that was the environment and he weaved that sort of into this you know grand grander you know story of Lord of the Rings and Middle-earth so that was very I was like wow this is really interesting you know <laughs> yeah. like there's there's and it, that kind of like led me more into sort of um this um idea about um uh you know the spirituality of the earth and the environment and how um you know stewardship of the earth um you know doesn't have to be necessarily just like a religious thing or or a, a mother earth thing it's something that I think is you know, connects all of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so wow. that's, that's kind of got, it's been a real, a real guiding principle um, of my life just from high school, college, all the way up until where I work now as yeah. the director of the Georgia Sierra club. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. How, now, how did you, so how did that lead you or, and this may, it may be a long story. I don't know, but how did that lead you to Clarkson? How did Clarkson end up on your radar? Like, how did you make it to that point? Yeah, actually, it was a book um, where I first heard oh, about wow. Clarkson, mm-hmm. um, and that was the book Outcast United. <laughs> we were awesome. talking about that right before. Right. Yeah. The game. yeah, which is funny because the mayor in that book was like four mayors ago, um, mm-hmm. and and the political environment. Um, it's quite different actually yeah. now. Um, and you know, that if you talk to the local people who were, who actually some of them still live in Clarkston, mm-hmm. they would say, ah, oh, you know, this New York writer came down <laughs> and, you know, with his New York sensibilities and told the story of a bunch yeah. of rednecks and hicks being discriminatory towards refugees, mm-hmm. yeah. which isn't entirely, you know, the case mm-hmm. of Clarkston. Yeah. But I think you could always find elements and characters that sort of fit yeah. that narrative of kind of a, a backward South sort of you know disdainfully looking on as people walk in hit jobs or you yeah. know wear funny clothes and talk funny yeah. um and so uh that book kind of was like oh well Clarkson's a really interesting place and so uh, i visited a few times yeah. and, and was aware of it years before i actually had like the opportunity to move to clarkston mm-hmm. um, which was only going to be on a temporary basis i actually was living in decatur uh, i just finished a campaign uh, f- uh in savannah came back mm-hmm. to decatur um, needed to move because my landlord at the time was selling the house 
and she was like, you know, as you know, I'm sorry that I'm have to sell the house. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be out in a couple months. <laughs> but oh, I got, yeah. a, I got a friend over in Clarkston who just needs someone to rent a room temporarily. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I kind of was like, oh yeah, Clarkston's a cool place. I, wow. I read about that book, you know, and the Fuji's family, and yeah, yeah that sounds, wow. that sounds like a lot of fun, you know. And yeah. so you just kind of get there, and then you, once you start living and sort of interacting with the community of Clarkston, it's mm-hmm. it's really, I think it's very hard not to get pulled in and to see the mm-hmm. real um, power um, and potential that exists when you have a, a small town as ethnically and religiously and language diverse as it is. Yeah. Everyone's living in very close proximity mm-hmm. to each other, and yet it is uh, a very interesting model of welcoming um, openness, yeah. compassion, um, tolerance mm-hmm. yeah. um, for people who really you know, have a lot of very differing worldviews, whether yeah. they're you know, very conservative Muslim views or, Mm -hmm. you know, evangelical missionary Christians or Buddhist, Vietnamese Buddhists, you know, um, or just, you know, white hipsters who, (laughs) you know, are multicultural humanists and are like, different cultures are great and we should all embrace everybody. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think I saw an interesting microcosm of that. I've also like, Tim's wife used to work with World Relief in Mm -hmm. Clarkston and I've I've, uh, done some work in there as well. But um, we recently, the... I forget the candidate's name. He had that deportation bus. Oh, I'm glad we don't remember his name, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I can't remember his name either. But I, yeah, it was like a desperate. It was like a desperate guy. Like Kemp and Cable are both Cable are both racist. Maybe I can jump in this yeah. race if I. Uh, so he brought this bus into Clarkston, and there was a like it was a, like relative to the um, to the big marches. It was a small protest, but it was cool. It was kind of a microcosm of mm. who's in who's in and around Clarkston. Um, you were there. Some of the candidates in the in the, uh, for for I think senators were there, and um, and then there were like sort of just concerned Christians and radical hipsters, and like everyone was just sort of it was yeah. a cool space. And there was some conflict within the protesters because someone I think it was an Afghani woman had had a view that we should be really welcoming and made this huge welcome banner to him. And then wow. other protesters were saying, that's sending a mixed message. <laughs> but, so it must be tricky navigating all that, Esmer. Are there, like, do you continue to read and explore? Like, how do, how do you navigate a world with so many different yeah. pressures? And it seems like some of them are uncompromising worldviews. Yeah, that that's a tough one. I was at that... Uh, welcoming slash protests um there was yeah there because no one had really organized it it was yeah, more yeah, yeah. just sort of like gra- like people were just like oh my god he's coming to clarkston and yeah. he stopped yeah. at a burger king in decatur too yeah. they didn't, even, they didn't even go to downtown decatur so he clearly was scared of decatur yeah he felt he could just show up in you know our main shopping center yeah um where all the ethnic food shops and grocery stores are yeah. in clarkston yeah um and the i, I I I wouldn't be a good mayor if I hadn't before people sort of began to leave the protest of saying, oh, before you leave, make sure you visit some of our businesses and shop yeah, yeah and yeah, spend yeah. your money. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, so there's a little bit of that kind of element where um, it's true. We do um, have a, a general principle of welcoming and compassion. Yeah. Um, compassion is, I think, uh, if you were to uh, channel... Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said that the only way to convert an enemy into a friend is with love, mm-hmm. that um, by being welcoming and being compassionate to people who you even find, you know, completely 
you know, opposite of your worldview or even maybe distasteful um, or even, you know, potentially, you know, racist, um, then you could potentially, you could change their minds. You could convert them. I remember being at a panel um, a year ago with um, um, Zeronia Clayton. Um, She's a a female civil rights leader, and she was talking about her uh, sort of, you know, coming to Jesus moment with a clan leader mm-hmm. and how she, you know, just over years and over, you know, personal interactions was able to convince a clan leader, you know, who at that, during that time period of, of our American history was, you know, the clan was very violent yeah. um, to get them to change their mindsets wow. about um, integration, segregation, about um, African-American um, people. And so I think, um, we we extend an open invitation to President Trump, to Vice President Pence, to people who have said that Muslims want to bring Sharia law to our country. You know, people who say that refugees are bringing crime and yeah. and are bringing problems and are changing the fabric of America. And I always challenge people: well, you know, don't believe everything that you read on mm-hmm. you know a blog or that you saw on a YouTube channel or hear yeah. on the radio. Yeah. Come see for yourself. You don't take my word for it. Don't take anyone's word for it. Come visit Clarkson and see yeah. yourself. You know, I'll show you around. And some people do take me up on that. Others are just like, nah, I'm a good. Um, and so, I, but I think that's part, yeah. half the battle, you know, is showing up. Um, yeah. I love just speaking out, you know, books and authors. I, I, one quote that I always put out there when I do presentations about Clarkson is from Mark Twain. And he said that travel is fatal to uh, bigotry, prejudice, and narrow-mindedness. <laughs> one cannot develop broad, wholesome views of humanity by vegetating in one's own corner of the world for one's entire life. Yeah. yeah. The short version, travel is the only cure for ignorance. Yeah. And, you know, and I can just speak about my own life, you know, tra- you know, having the privilege of traveling to Mexico and Canada and Europe and places that were sort of outside the comfort zone of, of growing up in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a chance to sort of interact with people that were different and mm-hmm. that weren't yeah. like where I came from. And so I think the more that people kind of push their comfort zones and are forced to, you know, kind of take a step beyond and into something that might be uncertain. Um, I think a lot of times you find, wow, this is actually not so bad. These people are very similar to me. There's a lot more that, that we have in, you know, in common than is, you know, anathema or it completely, uh, di- uh, a dichotomy to, um, our worldviews. That's yeah. not a threat to our existence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that rhetoric, you know, becomes like, oh, actually it's not the end of the world. Yeah. America's <laughs> not being wiped mm-hmm. out. These people aren't trying to kill us. Yeah. yeah. They're just trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's been encouraging to seeing what you're doing is as Ian said, my wife, we, um, my wife worked at World Relief for quite a while. Started back in like 2005, 2006. And back then there was that sort of leadership in Clarkson that was sort of, not horribly, but sort of there's this antagonism towards refugees. There was always, if we felt like this uphill battle of like trying to convince people that it, that it was a good thing and within leaders, like structurally within the city. And so like to see this shift and change has been really encouraging. And how, how did that happen now? I can't, obviously it's been a while. I don't remember the mayor before you, or the mayor's in the previous, but how was that, that first time running for election? How did it take, was it a lot of work convincing, like 
convincing people of this change that was needed? I don't know. I don't, how did that happen, that, that whole, I guess, election process to begin with? Well, number one, I would not have won my election for mayor in 2013 if it was not for former refugees who had become mm-hmm. uh, naturalized citizens mm-hmm. who yeah. were registered voters yeah. in Clarkston. And I can be, I, I, I know this for a fact because for, for two, two examples, one, I got 52% of the vote. Wow. <laughs> All right. Wow. If I had gotten 10 less votes, I would have been in a runoff election. And then in runoff elections, I mean, it's you never know. It could yeah, be, yeah. I mean, this is what happened with Kemp and, and Cagle. You know, you could yeah, be behind yeah. and you could win. Yeah. So I just barely won without a runoff. Wow. Um, 52% of the vote. Yeah. Uh, I had recognized and at the time the Clarkson City Council was um, was all old white people mm-hmm. um, and an older African-American mayor who actually had never won. He got, he sort of was became mayor after the mm. previous mayor died in office. Yeah. Um, and he was very negative towards refugees. He was on the record saying that mm. we need to have moratoriums and we need to stop refugee resettlement so we can figure this whole thing out. That, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that phrase> <laughs> uh, which I'm like, mm, we can figure things out as we go along. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I, um, um, I had an intern on my campaign who, um, uh, is, uh, was a second generation, uh, Vietnamese American, um, born in LA. His parents, were part of the first wave of refugees under the Refugee Act of 1980 <clears throat> who uh, had fled Vietnam after the Vietnam War and the Americans pulled out of Saigon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, my intern, Brian, um, who was a master's of public health student at Emory, was like, I want to you know, help out your campaign. I'm like, great. I don't know. I'll... <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to have you do. I don't really need an intern. We're just knocking on doors here. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, you know, I th- I'm pretty sure we have a lot of Vietnam, former Vietnamese refugees who have lived here for 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at the voter list. I'm like, you know, there's Vietnamese names on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if they've ever, and they, and they, they weren't voting in local yeah. elections, right? So, you know, pu- the public record shows that people vote in elections, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was a vo- low voter turnout in Clarkston. Mm-hmm. And so I had my intern, and actually it was his dad who translated my flyer, my campaign message into Vietnamese. And me and Brian visited the Vietnamese Buddhist temple, the Vietnamese Baptist church. And then we'd actually would go visit some of the elders in the community. And and we knocked on some doors and some of the neighborhoods that had a, you know, 10 or 20, you know, Vietnamese voters. And I I remember on election day, Clarkston's a small town, one voting precinct, Mm Uh, at the time, it was the International Bible Church. It was the polling place was at the gymnasium. Everyone parked in the one parking spot and would have to walk right by all the candidates mm-hmm. to go vote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so on election day, <laughs> you know, it's like three p.m. and like just this, you know, these short little older Vietnamese people are sort of kind of streaming streaming in around the same time wow. and they're just kind of sort of making their way just you know very silent kind of avoiding all the candidates mm-hmm. and they look over at me and they kind of just give me a thumbs up <laughs> um, and I'm like yes awesome. yes, oh, yes the Vietnamese refugees former refugees are voting for me yeah, um, awesome. but they told me they said you know we never voted in, in city elections because mm-hmm. no one ever bothered to talk to us no, then, no one ever bothered to you know hear what we were cons- you know concerned about wow. Um, and so, um, you know, I mean, this is basic democracy and campaigning. You talk to the people, yeah. uh, you hear what they have to say. Um, if there's a yeah. language barrier, you know, translate your, your flyer, yeah. take, take, yeah. A, take one extra step. Yeah. So, 
I think in that way, I mean, you know, yeah, I didn't specifically run on, we need to be all welcoming mm-hmm. to refugees, but yeah. I ran on a pretty progressive platform yeah. that we should be inclusive yeah. Yeah. Um, and open. Um, and then just, I think, proving to, you know, a certain part of the community that I was willing to try a little harder to get yeah. their vote. I think yeah. I paid off. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you share a little bit? You mentioned more progressive platform, more inclusive. Like, can you share about, <clears throat> for those that don't know, some of the, I mean, what you've been able to do, I think even within one term has just been really encouraging, I don't know, to see this in just a small town, so much change happening. Stuff that you think would like take, you know, baby steps. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot mm-hmm. happening at once. Can you and share some of quickly? Yeah. Can you share some of what you've been able to accomplish your during your first term? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the very first, um, so the, the campaign, several new people were elected to the city council when I was, uh, you know, won and sworn in. And so the very first thing we did was we got rid of the moratorium on refugee resettlement. So we sort of kind of re redeclared that Clarkson was a welcoming and compassionate community. Yeah. We established a new sort of, I think, uh, restart relationship with the resettlement agencies like mm-hmm. World Relief and mm-hmm. International Rescue Committee and New American Pathways. And so that was a really good, I think, turning point because I think that there was a sense in the community that the political leaders um, had a negative and at the very, at the least, passive aggressive attitude yeah. towards our new American um, residents, and in some manifestations, a hostile yeah. rhetoric towards them. And so a lot of that changed. And so, yeah. from the, at least from the political side, we were saying that no nope, refugees and immigrants are an, uh, a benefit to Clarkston. There's a lot of uh, value that they bring to our community, mm-hmm. and we should continue to receive refugees as yeah. we have for 35 years. Um, so that was a really important step. On the progressive side, um, we beca- we were the first city to decriminalize marijuana possession, mm-hmm. so making it a ticket only offense. So can't go to jail, um, can't be arrested, can't you know no no record of yeah. you know it's a ticket for yeah. under one ounce possession. Um, raised the minimum wage for our city employees of fifteen dollars an hour, which for us was an easy decision. For other cities, they're kind of like, well, we're going to take our time to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, every, you know, but I think, you know, for us, $15 is a living wage in Atlanta because yeah. the, yeah. the rent's too damn high and <laughs> and yeah. people can't afford to live uh, and yeah. pay their utility bills and pay their expenses yeah. on seven twenty five an hour or even yeah. $10 an hour. Um, so things like that. Um, we've we've joined Atlanta with being 100% clean energy mm-hmm. city. So That's we're awesome. planning on a transition to... You know, power not just our government buildings, but our community center, our mm-hmm. churches, our homes, our businesses, with clean energy. You know, yes. over the next you know several decades, um, yeah. as well as converting to electric <laughs> vehicles as well, because that yeah. helps with air pollution. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, that's a that's a really important. I bring that up because um, the United Nations um, estimates that climate change and the disruptions. Um, you know that climate change or uh, exacerbating will potentially displace 50 to 200 million more people by 2050. Yeah. And so, if, if people are concerned about the refugee crises around the world, mm-hmm. and seeing that there's 23 million people, one yeah. of the worst humanitarian crises since World War II, um, add another 50 to 200 million, yeah. not because of political conflict or because of you know uh, religious persecution. Um, or wars, but because of people literally homes are being, you know, taken over by the oceans, Mm -hmm. huge flooding, the melting of the glaciers, um, uh, droughts on one side, Mm -hmm. um, flood and super hurricanes on the other side. Um, And so we're looking at, and then those people aren't even protected actually in terms of refugee status. And so we're talking about people who literally have no, um, you know, uh, United Nations or political international treaty support they're just people without homes and potentially yeah. without countries. 
Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's important for a step for us. Um, yeah. We got a lot of good things on tap uh, for this this next uh, this next term mm-hmm. um, that I'm really excited about. Awesome. So um, we you're you're in a situation now where you just got reelected. Congratulations, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, <laughs> we were really excited about it. Um, and you're you've made some progress you have some work ahead when you're in the middle of it are there things you're currently reading or things you're currently exploring in terms of literature and ideas that are helping you along in this process or do you read are you reading anything interesting to unplug yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i kind of have i have sort of maybe three different sort of silos of my reading um one is like current events yeah so whether yeah. it's like so Har- i love harper's magazine um, just because it's a little bit like there's less pictures and more words. <laughs> um, yeah. So, which, you know, nothing against like Time Magazine yeah. or, um, you know, the the um, New York Times Magazine. But it's more it's more a little more sort of kind of uh, culturally, um, you know, s- significant. Um, they do um, have authors and they have sort of book reviews and things. So it's kind of yeah. com- it covers politics, culture and, and literature. Um, uh I, the, the current book that I'm reading, I picked up at the airport when I was actually headed to um, headed to Rome for a meeting of mayors in Italy. Wow. And so we're trying to work on an exchange program between American mayors, Italian mayors, and German mayors wow. who are in a similar situation to Clarkston where they're um, on the front lines yeah. of the migration crisis. So they're yeah. actually – there's two mayors in Italy who are receiving refugees from – who are crossing the Mediterranean mm-hmm. uh, from Libya – uh, who are coming from Nigeria, Tunisia, maybe. Um, and so I picked up this book in the airport and it's called um, The Silk Roads. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. it's like, you know, 900 pages. <laughs> um, and it's a really interesting. And so I've really, I've just, I've just started it, but mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a fascinating sort of, uh, you know, nonfiction description of how the Silk Roads connected, you know, the 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 far east mm-hmm. with you know the, the roman and, and empire yeah. and how that the, the 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 trade routes are what created sort of this uh, this amazing sort of mixture of religions and and commerce and cultural exchanges that sort of you know kind of adapted and and changed over you know 2000 years um yeah. so wow. um, i'm looking forward to reading the rest of that one <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um i um on the more spiritual side, um, a book that I just like always come back to. I see two books that I always come back to in sort of the spiritual side, and I channel them when I'm mm-hmm. like dealing with like political conflicts um, <laughs> mm-hmm. or you know sort of existential crises that you know that interact with you know when you're dealing with like interpersonal things with mm-hmm. constituents or world leaders, yeah. you yeah. know, and yeah. <laughs> things. You're like, what, what is wrong with the world? Um, and so um, I've been. I always go back to the Tao Te Ching. Um, Stephen Mitchell's translation, uh, which I think is a little bit more modern translation, a little bit more relevant to you know the 21st century, um, and there's good um, sort of just aspects of like leadership yeah. and you know how to kind of handle people um, and handle situations that are particularly tumultuous, um, yeah. which in politics you know seem to happen like every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then my other one that I always go back to is uh, the Prophet by Cahill Gibran, which you know, basically is a short, a short little story about, you know, a, a young prophet who is, you know, going back to his home country. Um, and before he, you know, leaves all the people of the town who he's lived with for, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, ask him to impart his wisdom 
mm-hmm. on on certain things before he leaves. And yeah. so it's kind of like a little in the it's sort of in a similar vein of spiritual and philosophical sort of intersection. Um, oh, cool. And there's some good sort of just you know it's a little, little po- it's poetic yeah. philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm, awesome. I'm I'm contemplating getting into Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, a- Andrea, cool. who was on you yeah. know on Queer Eye, my my girlfriend and mm-hmm. uh, the mayoress, um, she's <laughs> like almost done with the books. And yeah. I'm like, should I read Game of Thrones? I'm, I'm considering, considering <laughs> that. Have you have you seen the Game of Thrones the show? Have you been Watching any of the shows at all on HBO, the Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, show. I didn't even know Game of Thrones was a book. Oh okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, it's a book. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've read through. You know, I've gotten. I'm caught up on the books, and it is, it is definitely a. It's a it's a commitment, and I will say the only the, the one downside not to criticize because you know like Game of Thrones it's on its last season, so it's it's condensing plot lines big mm-hmm. time. You know, yeah, yeah. and I feel like my one issue with Game of Thrones is it's on its it's just you know George R. R. Martin he's planning you know seven books. He's finished the fifth, so he's got two more. And I'm like, even by the fifth, when you think he's gonna start like reining it in, he's just introducing new characters right and left. And I'm like, I can't, I can't even keep up with like characters that I know and love and care about. So that's my only complaint. But it's still, it's still a blast. It's a lot of fun, and it's a, it's a whole new way of like thinking of like medieval or like that fantasy realm of like, because I, I high school, I loved like Lord of the Rings. I just, I was a big fan, and and I loved, I loved like you know the good versus evil aspect of it, and I and but I feel like Game of Thrones is taking an interesting route of like, what if everybody thinks they're right? What if everybody thinks that they're good? And yeah. I mean, some people know they're bad, but I, I think that's a fa- like a that gray area of what everybody's vying for what they believe is their rightful place. I don't know. So oh, that, yeah. It's a ho- yeah. totally change up on that like medieval world. And I, I've loved it. I've really enjoyed it. And there's dragons too, which is <laughs> yeah. kind of fun. No, I think, I think every politician <laughs> should uh, read and or watch both Game of Thrones. Because... Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Andrea's told me about just, you know, like lines in the books that she's like, this is politics yeah. right here. Um, and then, of course, in the in the movie, it's it's very it's, you know, just it's political intrigue, yeah. you know, in sort of yeah. multiple layers. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's that's how politics is. Everyone. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have been accused, you know, by at public meetings um, of, you know, you're trying to destroy Clarkston. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, I don't think anyone. I mean, I've disagreed with people on my council yeah. and people who are maybe in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I've ever like said they're trying to destroy America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think anyone who runs for office thinks that you know um, uh, is trying to you know destroy something. They they're running because they think that mm-hmm. they're right and they think yeah. that they're trying to you know make things better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the 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 compromise the 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 um the contract that we've made in a modern democracy is that we're going to actually respect that someone has a different point of view. Yeah. And, and not disembowel make the, make the or behead argument. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully. Yeah. That's yeah. where the Game of Thrones yeah. is like, all right, well we disagree. All right. Yeah. Trial by combat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, speaking of that like disagreements and stuff, not to I know we're jumping around between books and your political career, but I was like, you know, up until 2016, I, it, things are obviously aren't perfect. Haven't, have, you know, never perfect, but there seemed to be this like upward trajectory of like things have been really encouraging, you know, uh, amount of refugees that have been coming, you know, we've allowed have been continually going up. I, there was just this general idea of like progress, like, okay, things are, things are going well. Better, yeah. And then 2016 comes and it feels like everything that Clarkson stands for our federal leadership is it's like it's like the opposite like it's kind of just yeah. 180 shift to where yep. things that were looked on as like really inspiring and really exciting is now all of a sudden vilified and you know turned into you know fear you know we don't know these you know anyways how have you like 
I don't know. How do you deal? Because it's got to be discouraging. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to really get at you. How are there other things you maybe read, but maybe not even read, but just what have you done to stay encouraged to keep hope? I, I feel like there can be moments where like can be a things can be pretty disheartening, and I don't know. Yeah, definitely. But, I, I mean, yeah, it is disheartening. And if you were living just in that moment in time where you're like watching that speech from President Trump or okay. watching this policy unfold or families being separated at the border, you might think. You know, all yeah. all is ending. You mm-hmm. know, things are the worst they've ever been. Yeah. But if you read American history um, <laughs> and you look at, and I'll, I'm, one of my other favorite books is The Bully Pulpit, um, oh, yeah. which is this amazing story of the, you know, the history of Teddy Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, and how journalism during that age sort of really kind of created this, this huge upheaval in the political structure mm-hmm. and, you know, the rhetoric at that time. I mean, rhetoric back during the revolutionary, uh, you know, uh, first the first three or four presidents um, mm-hmm. and during Andrew Jackson's time. I mean, American history <laughs> during Ulysses S. Grant and Andrew Johnson. I mean, there have, there have been some of... Uh, huge swings, mm-hmm. you know, not 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 just a left-right way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's more left-right in sort of our paradigm today. But whether it's for slavery or against slavery, or federalism and against federalism, yeah, yeah. or you know, um, uh, you know, tariffs or against tariffs. So we're coming <laughs> back to that now. Um, and so I think you, if you have a perspective of American history, you see like. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a two-party democracy, you know, um, you are you are inevitably going to have these huge swings. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's gotten That's more right. exacerbated now just because of um, because of the media um, and people being able to sort of silo themselves off. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit harder to be introduced to contrary points of mm-hmm. view, and so your the people are becoming more isolated in their worldview and. As a result, they're becoming less compassionate because yeah. they see people as the enemy. Um, again, back to Mark Twain, you know, yeah. <laughs> once you r- leave the digital environment and you start meeting people, like mm-hmm. there's pe- things that people have said online about Muslims, about refugees, about me. And I guarantee you they never would say that in person. Yeah. You yeah. know, like face to face, they'd be like, they would, it would be like, oh, well, you know, I don't really mean that. And, you know, I was just upset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but so I think like, um, I think yeah, it's challenging now. Um, it's not to say that you you roll over and just wait for some you know things mm-hmm. to change. I mean, this is totally. why we have midterm elections. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. this is why we have local elections. Yeah. I mean, there literally is an election every single mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah. Like I, I get you know cities are in Atlanta, Clarkston, half of the cities in Georgia are elected in in between years. So mm-hmm. 2017 midterms, 2018, 2019 more cities are have elections. 2020 yeah. presidential. I mean, there's always another election, and so I think that people who feel a little bit of despair um, need to to recognize that there's um, there is a history of the pendulum kind of swinging back, yeah. or there being a course correction. So mm-hmm. we kind of we we just don't know when it's going to be though. That's kind of yeah. the the uncertainty thing. Is you're like, ah, is it going to take? Is, is it going to take two terms of President <laughs> Trump before America course corrects? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or is it going to be just this one midterm? Um, yeah. But the, I think the bottom line is you can't sit it out. You can't just say, oh, yeah, well, you know, all is lost. You have yeah. to vote. The very least you could do is just vote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next best thing is volunteer mm-hmm. for a campaign yeah. um, or volunteer if you care about refugees, you care about the environment. You yeah. know, you just need to just do a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. go up to your comfort zone. And then just do a little bit more. Yeah, um, we have to kind of me- keep making that progress. It doesn't have yeah. to be a transformation overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to change yeah. your whole worldview just mm-hmm. in the way you do things. You know, tomorrow, but just kind of make that those 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 steps towards yeah. something. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great.
Yeah. So you mentioned you have some cool things on tap for Clarkston. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to mention on the air? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So we're, um, we got a micro farming ordinance, so we're trying to encourage wow. more uh, chickens, live animals. Yeah. Um, I had this one um, Somali woman in Clarkston, we told her about how we're going to allow um, people to have goats. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, wow. a certain level, not like, yeah. like farms of goats, but mm -hmm. you know, have like two or three goats yeah. per yeah. half acre or something. And and she was so excited because she was like, "I make the best goat milk cheese." Oh man! Um, and I was like, um, "I have no idea how to milk goats, yeah. but that sounds amazing." She's like, "If you get goats, I will come to your house and milk your goats yeah. and make you goat milk." And I'm like, "That's great! I'll give yeah. you so you can yeah. have you, I'll give you half of the milk yeah. if you make me goat milk cheese oh in the Somali style." Um, so so that's, that's fun. Awesome. Um, cool. So but yeah, but you know, just in the vein of sustainability, um, we want to encourage people to. Um, had, you know, consider turning their grass front yards into farms. Yeah. Um, you know, in some cities it's against the code. In other cities, there's just no ordinance on it. And yeah. so we actually want to codify it as saying you don't have to have a manicured insecticide, you know, sprayed lawn. It could mm -hmm. be a natural yard. It could be a pollinator meadow. It could be, you know, uh, squash and cucumbers yeah. and tomatoes and okra or yeah. if you talk to some of the refugee um farmers i mean they have some amazing weird looking gourds and mm. other types of things <laughs> that right. they grow um that uh you know again like oh that looks kind of weird i don't know if i want to try that and then you, when you try you're like man this is really good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with the right little bit of seasoning and some salt and you know it's like it's amazing and so um so that's that's an exciting thing i mean atlanta has been leading the way they have an urban ag department and everything wow. and we're just trying to kind of baby step into like allowing it to mm -hmm. exist um yeah the one thing that i'm really excited about that probably would be very controversial um is this issue of, <laughs> is of an issue of voting mm -hmm. um we have very low turnout in Clarkston compared to our population. So about a thousand people are registered to vote. Um, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, a little bit more than a thousand. Um, only about 800 actually vote in city elections and we have 13,000 people like residents oh, in Clarkston. Wow. Um, the reason why is that a lot of the a lot of refugees are legal, lawful, permanent residents. Mm -hmm. um, they can apply for citizenship after five years, mm -hmm. but uh, a lot of refugees are looking for like home ownership opportunities and mm -hmm. so there's sort of a transient period where by the time they become citizens, they've moved out of Clarkston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But while they're in Clarkston, if they either are uh, renting or paying sales tax, or even mm -hmm. if they actually are owning a home, um, they're paying taxes, but are able, never able to vote for a mayor or city council. Mm. And so we think that um, because the federal constitution does not uh, specifically mm. limit um, non-citizens from uh, voting, um, even though the state constitution does. We think there's an argument, at least for a community like ours, with the equal protection uh, clause of the constitution, wow. to say that lawful permanent residents, so mm -hmm. these are documented immigrants, people who like will become citizens one day, um, should be able to vote in local elections yeah. for mayor and city council. Um, and so we are studying that issue right now. Uh, we wanna run our own wow. elections, have our own voter registration system, have all paper ballots, um, have a campaign finance uh, system where mm -hmm. uh, candidates um, would get matching funds. And so this is just a, a nod wow. towards having more, more democratic participation um, yeah. with people who maybe not, may, not, may not have the resources to run for office, but yeah. if they could get small dollar contributions, mm -hmm. then 
the campaign finance fund could match it. You know, we're talking about a couple thousand dollars, yeah, you know, yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing yeah. huge. Um, basically, just to expand the pool of people who could run for office, wow. uh, and then people who could vote. You yeah. know, so if you're a for, you know, if you're uh, someone who's paying sales tax, you know, Clarkston collects a sales tax. Uh, uh, and uses it to build infrastructure. So we're going to collect about $10 million over the next six years mm-hmm. to do infrastructure projects. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are paying that tax right now can't you know, elect the people who are deciding how to spend that tax money. Oh, yeah. So we think that's, that's, that's going to be very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, if Brian Kemp is governor, I'm sure that he will sue us. Yeah. Um, but we welcome that. Yeah. Um, we think that we have a strong case to make wow. for local control, for... Um, uh, for home rule um, when it comes to how we elect our local leaders. Yeah. Huh. That's great. Did you, so sticking with voting, I I apologize because I can't remember if it's something that you want to do or has already happened, um, but I was reading about making uh, making election day a holiday where people are, has that already happened? Is that already? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where um, because the city government has employees, Mm And so we can say which holidays are holidays. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so our employees, Empl- okay, okay, um, get a half day. Okay, okay. On you know gubernatorial and presidential mm-hmm. election years. So every yeah, two yeah. years they get to they can wow. take four hours off mm-hmm. to make sure they go vote. Okay. Um, if they want to, they don't have to. Yeah. You know, personally speaking, it should be a federal holiday. Yeah. It should just be like a cultural thing. Yeah. Where yeah. you know, unless we're gonna do like what other countries do, where you can vote over the span of like three or four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we should just say all right, it's Tuesday or heck, we could just, I mean, we have to change the constitution or do some sort mm-hmm. of something special there, but let's just sort of codify in our culture that, um, that this idea of a democracy day yeah. um, is sort of fundamental to who we are as a country. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are the first modern democracy. And so we should uh, give every opportunity for anyone to want to participate, not having a barrier because of work conflicts yeah. or, um, uh, you know, family constraints. Uh, oh, I got to pick the kids up from school, and oh, boss won't let me get off until six thirty. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it on the on the weekend voting. Absentee voting um, yeah. wasn't available. Um, so there's all these like little tiny little barriers yeah. that prevent people from from voting. Um, and so you know, it's just I think it's it's something that we are able to do as a city just for our employees, yeah. um, and we you know encourage all the businesses and Clarkson to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I don't I mean I think some of them I think are you know, probably do it. Yeah. Others probably are just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Voting? What? I got to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not for everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's our principle. We think that uh, awesome. that voting is, is a sacred right and responsibility and that, you know, we should do everything we can to uh, lower the barriers to people oh. who want to vote. That's great. That's well, we'll yeah. be following you closely. We're, yeah. Congratulations again on your on your uh, new term as mayor and um thanks for joining us today we're really grateful we're also thankful to atlanta vintage books they've agreed to host this podcast um been very supportive we're recording here in the metaphysical reading room (laughs) surrounded by books um and uh so if you hear the sound the warm sound of books in your ears that's it's coming from atlanta vintage books um, if you hear this podcast and are interested in coming in and checking out the space and shopping here mm-hmm. at checkout, just let them know that you came because you heard them on the you heard the What Are You Reading podcast, and they'll give you a little ten uh, percent discount yeah. on your purchase. Mm-hmm. Ted, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. We've been thank looking you, forward to this for a while. Enjoyed and, it. And lastly, if you want to, um, well, first of all, before we go to our like, how can people keep up with you? What's going on in Clarkson? Are there 
websites, Twitter? Like, are there ways people can keep up with the activities of, of the city? Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, everyone can follow me and just Google Ted Terry, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and mm-hmm. Facebook and things like that. So I, I t- tend to post things that are happening mm-hmm. in the community. Awesome. Um, I want to encourage people to visit places like Refuge mm-hmm. Coffee. I know you had Kitty Murray mm-hmm. on here yeah. a while back. That's a great coffee shop, a great place if you want to visit Clarkston and just want to you know, tiptoe into yeah. the most ethnically diverse square mile in America. Just yeah. come and get some coffee and hang out. Yeah. Um, if you want to, I would uh, encourage you to reach out to groups like Friends of Refugees, Brian Bollinger. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to sort of volunteer or kind of, you know, be more involved in helping out the refugee community, um, they're a great organization to have really, you know, good volunteer orientations mm-hmm. and very specific things that you can do that can really help yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And it's all in the vein of teaching people how to, you know, quote fish. So yeah. you're not just, it's not just like just, give someone a meal, Mm -hmm. it's helping them with job training um, and life skills and things so they can be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And that uh, as we find um, first generation immigrants help out the next generation of immigrants. Um, And so they really pay it forward. Um, So I want to encourage folks to to check those folks out. Awesome. Thank you for, I I feel like Clarkson is, uh, I don't know, I really appreciate the example that it's kind of become of, of what progress can look like. And I feel like there's all these people you know demonizing certain aspects but it's like well if you see it happening in real life come check this out and it's pretty amazing you'll see yeah. unity happening in real time you see progress happening in real time and the world isn't ending the city isn't isn't falling apart i don't know it's it's a it's just a beautiful example i think of what what places can be like i don't know we really yeah. appreciate all that you're doing yeah. so thank, thank you. you so much thank you thank you and uh lastly of course if you want to uh get in touch with us and uh connect with us at all we're at readyreadingpodcast.com and from there, we, it's kind of a hub of Facebook, Twitter, just kind of places where we're at kind of uh, posting things, sharing things. We'd love to connect with you and get feedback and um, and just hear what you're reading, of course. And then, as always, we always appreciate rating and reviewing on iTunes. That kind of helps put it, keep it up there for people to notice. It helps just get it out there and let more people see what's happening and uh, more people hear of the exciting things that are happening in Atlanta. So thank you so much for that. As always, we're going to end with a book quote. Uh, This is from Robert Coles. Novels and stories are renderings of life. They can not only keep us company, but admonish us, point us in new directions, or give us courage to stay a given course.